0: You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 31 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Let's jump right into it. Now, it seems to me, if you're looking for some separation, and you are, or you would not be here, you can get some by finishing this year with a vengeance, and then starting 2022 by hitting the ground running. So many people are looking to lay it up or even shut it down come the holiday season. Then just psych up and ramp up on the first of the year, only to abandon all their New Year's resolutions in the first couple of weeks. Don't do it. Go as hard as you can right now. Finish 2021 with authority, and then you don't have to ramp up for anything at all at the start of the year. You're already running. Easier to stay in shape than to get into shape. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Now, one of the things that I have in the fall is a reoccurring role on the NFL Today on CBS. I make appearances in New York City in the studio several times a year during the NFL season. It's a small role on a big show, and I absolutely love it. I mean, I love it. The only real challenge is I fly from L.A. to New York on a Saturday morning. I make my appearance the next day, and then I fly right back to L.A., and then I'm back in my office early Monday morning, and I roll right into my next week. Don't get it twisted. This is not in any way a complaint. Hell, I would do it more times a year if they let me. But I get it. I mean, even I can only take so much of me. I say this not to complain. In fact, it's just the opposite. I say it to illustrate a point. (laughs) There was this one time, this driver in New York City, who knew me, And my schedule And who had driven me several times He hits me right between the eyes with Hey Rome, given how far you have to travel And how little airtime you get How is that even worth it to you? It's like one of the most New York things ever This dude is just busting my chops About how I spend my time And work my brand Not my manager, mind you Not my producer, not my wife A dude I hardly even know Essentially insinuating That I must have better things to do And asking me, how is it worth it? I had to laugh. But the thing is, it is worth it. I love it. I love being part of a great show. And yes, I love the grind. And to quote my guy, Ben Newman, I'm looking to own my stage. Own your stage every damn day. That right there is a small part of a huge stage. And I'm looking to own it every damn Sunday that I show up there. And you should do the same thing with whatever stage you're on. Because we're all on one. In fact, we're all on several, so know where your feet are, plan them, and own that stage in that moment. Own all of them every damn day, and of course it's worth it, or I wouldn't do it. Speaking of the NFL and sports in general, I try not to talk sports or book athletes or former athletes here too frequently, but it's not a hard and fast rule, especially given there are so many great lessons that we could take from sports and elite athletes to apply to our own lives. Furthermore, this is a podcast about reinvention, and inevitably, an athlete's playing career will come to an end, and then he or she will be forced to reinvent themselves as well. Today's guest, Eric Wood, is one of those people, and he has made the transition from the playing field to, quote, real life beautifully. Eric played nine years in the NFL. He was one of the very best in the sport, and he was a former first-round draft pick. In other words, an extremely high achiever, elite in every sense of the word, and he loved the sport. Then suddenly, unexpectedly, during an end-of-the-year routine chat with doctors, they suggested he get an MRI on his neck, just to be sure. Purely procedural, except that it wasn't. He had been playing with a severe neck injury and was told by doctors he had already played his last down. His career ended in that very moment, jerked suddenly and unexpectedly from him. Eric discussed what went through him in that very moment when he received that shocking news and the manner in which and the process he used to reinvent and rebuild himself when the one thing he had always done and his very identity had been ripped suddenly from him again. I try not to put too many athletes in this space, since that's what I do all day, every day, on my other platforms, but the opportunity to have this conversation with this individual was just too valuable to pass up. You will love this dude and his message, and I can't wait to get it to you. It's episode 31 of The Reinvention Project with former NFL or term performance coach Eric Wood, and it's coming at you right now. Eric, it is so great to have you on this pod. Let me say, first, you were a great player, and you and I had some great conversations when you were in the NFL, but... Tell me I'm wrong, but I bet I speak for you and I both when I say I'm eager to have a conversation in a space that is not exclusively football or sports related, but frankly, is even bigger than that. This is why I've taken on this podcast and this journey, and I am pumped to spend time with you and get your thoughts on how you've reinvented yourself in your post-playing days. So, thank you very much for doing this, Eric. How are you, and how is your family?
1: Man, we are absolutely fantastic. It's an honor to be on this podcast. I love this reinvention project I've communicated with you and how proud I am of you taking this journey. And, you know, since my career ended, I've been on a journey to figure out what's next for me and how I make that next. You know, you say 25 years, how do I make this next chapter of my life the best yet and not have my football days, my playing career be what defines me?
0: See, exactly. This is exactly why I wanted to come together with you and have this conversation, and I really appreciate the kind words. That means the world to me, what you just said. You know, I want to first, before we get into that reinvention or that pivot, I want to go back. I want to make sure my listeners fully understand the way you are, the way that you were built, the mindset that you developed, and the career and the life that you have forged for yourself and for your family. For the uninitiated, for instance, Eric, I think that folks might see your credentials. Nine years in the NFL, all pro, first round draft pick, and they might think to themselves, supremely gifted athlete, genetic freak, somebody who probably was always the man the second he put on his first pair of cleats and was always that guy. But the fact is, that's not necessarily the case. For instance, what were you like as a high school player?
1: I was a backup tight end on my high school football team as a junior. I had zero scholarships until after my senior season at Elder High School in Cincinnati. I I played on the basketball team as well. At one point I thought I had a future potentially in basketball. I had a really good day down at the Wake Forest basketball camp and a teammate of mine was a McDonald's All-American candidate, so I went down there with him. Skip Prosser was a Cincinnati guy, so I got invited down as well. And I thought I had a pretty good day. And Skip pulls me aside at the end of the day. And they were number one in the country at the time. They had Chris Paul coming in. This was in 2002, I believe. And so he pulls me aside, and I'm thinking, oh, shoot, is this a, is this going to be an offer, maybe a preferred walk-on? What's this about to be? And he said, Eric, I think you're better suited for a football field. Hmm. And I said, well, I got bad news, Skip. I don't even start on my own team. And so, no, I have not always been the most gifted athlete. I put on – 50 pounds between my junior and senior year, grew up a little bit, hit some maturity, went from 200 pounds to 250 pounds, joined the offensive line, joined the big boys up front, and got one scholarship offer to the University of Louisville, which I'll forever be grateful for.
0: All right, so this is amazing in and of itself. Like, I'm trying really hard not to talk sports per se with you. I understand there's overlap, but you just said something, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I did not know that part of your background. I'll tell you what, I I have to follow. I have to ask you a follow-up question. Skip Prosser was unbelievable. Skip Prosser was a genius. Skip Prosser was universally beloved. You'll never believe this, though, Eric, or maybe you would. Once I was at the Final Four back in the day when I was in my ESPN days and we're coming out, if you've ever been to the Final Four, you know how this is, right? There's just thousands and thousands of people. I'm going to the arena, and I hear this, Jim, Jim. Jim, and I turn around, it's Skip Prosser. He's trying to run me down. Jim, Skip Prosser. I'm like, of course, coach, how you doing? Just wanted to meet you, want to see what a great show you have. I mean, is that like not the most Skip thing ever that Skip is trying to run me down? How legendary a figure was he?
1: It, it truly is. It doesn't surprise me one bit. He treated everybody absolutely incredibly. And I grew up in the era of Cincinnati basketball where UC had Bob Huggins and Xavier had Skip Prosser. And that was about as good as it gets kind of polar opposite personalities, both really good people. I appreciate them both Um, have had, uh, you know, personal experiences with both of them in my office, upstairs in my house. I have a crosstown shootout ball signed by both of them and just uh, a truly special uh, momentum, a memento that I have in my house. But but Skip is truly a phenomenal person. One of my favorite people in the world is now the head coach at the University of Charleston, uh, Pat Kelsey. And he was a descendant of Skip Prosser. And there's no doubt in my mind that he will honor Skip throughout his career, uh, whose life ended too early.
0: For sure. And don't get me started on Hug. Man, I got a love affair with Hug, too. Hug (laughs) Hug is the greatest. Today, so many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. This is why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it is free. I love LinkedIn. I've been using it for years, and you should too. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on the candidates with the skills and the experience that you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then you use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. The process is brilliant. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Hey, did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash roam. Again, linkedin.com slash roam to post that job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All right. So but the point for our purposes here, Eric, you I mean, you were not even starting as a junior in high school and not getting any love from college recruiters. I understand that you got bigger and stronger, but how did you go from not starting in high school to becoming a first round draft pick in the NFL to playing nine years in that league to becoming one of the best in the business? What was your mindset and what was your process and how did you do that?
1: Well, I think a lot of it started with work ethic, and I didn't necessarily have that work ethic ingrained in me as a kid, but between my junior and senior high school, I knew that I needed uh, to make a statement some way, somehow, and in basketball, we had this practice player of the day jersey. It was this orange jersey, and prior to that point, I didn't really care if I ever got that jersey, but we had a bunch of college recruiters coming around, and whether it was football or basketball, they would come to the basketball practice and watch us play. And I thought, man, if every day I could be wearing that jersey, maybe there's one coach who comes in the gym and says, why does that guy always have the jersey? Maybe he's worth taking a shot on. Well, for an entire season, so for a three-month period, I I earned that jersey every single day. And I, I say it was mainly based upon effort, not skill. But I kept that jersey. And that ingrained in me a work ethic that over a three month period of going as hard as I possibly could every single day, it became uncomfortable for me not to work hard, no matter what it is I'm doing. And, you know, Jim, you know, as well as anybody, there's power in creating habits. And I took that work ethic to, to the university of Louisville. I feel like I was always coachable. And I think it, in in some ways it benefited me going into the university of Louisville, not having had a bunch of ingrained bad habits. I was kind of a, a sponge for them to just mold. And, um, and I like to say I, I was coachable and I still try and remain coachable to this day. And when I was with the Buffalo bills, we had seven head coaches in nine years, hmm. Hmm. two, two were interims, but to be able to stay on the same team, I played nine years for the bills played my entire career there, but to always be able to stick with that team took for me to constantly be pivoting, constantly be adapting. And I think that's uh, paid off in other areas of life as well.
0: All right. So that makes sense to me. So what you're doing is you become, you know, first you make your habits and then your habits make you, and then you start to stack them and you stack days and that becomes the way you are. And then you become comfortable being uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden you show up five years, 10 years down the road, and this is who you are. And it works like you're living the dream. And it's a dream that you created. You absolutely love the sport. You love virtually everything about the sport. But then, Eric, suddenly and unexpectedly, it is ripped right from you, and your career comes to a shocking and abrupt end. For those who do not know, what happened?
1: Yeah. So, in my mind, like the way I feel, and kind of this way I'm still ingrained, like I've, I still feel like I should be on a football field. Mm-hmm. I would have truly played till the wheels fell off. But, you know, I played my entire career for the Buffalo Bills, and I played in the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports. I played nine years of the 17 year drought. In 2017, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean come in, the now head coach and GM of the Buffalo Bills, and they offer me a contract extension before the season. Well, everybody's around the league just assumes the Buffalo Bills are tanking. We've traded away our top two draft picks from the previous two drafts, and we're getting ready to trade Marcel Darius, which was our first round draft pick from the year before that, the number three pick in the draft. So everybody from the outside in thinks we're tanking. And I thought, you know what? We got too much talent in this building. We could still make a run at this thing. You know what? I'll sign a contract extension because I cannot have the Bills make the playoffs, make a Super Bowl run, and me not be here. And so I signed a contract extension before the season, In 2017, we end up making the playoffs. I'm the only player on the team to play every single snap that season. And you know as well as anybody, Jim, your shoe can fall off. You can be beating a team too bad. You can be losing too bad. There's a number of reasons why guys don't play every single snap in a season. Well, I was one of a few players in the entire NFL to do it we play in our playoff game down in Jacksonville. And if everyone, if anyone remembers that barn burner, it was the 10 to three loss that we suffered uh, at Saxonville with our old head coach, Doug Marone on the sideline for Jacksonville, which still stings to this day. But after the game, my son was about to be born in Louisville and I, and, I, and I'm a, the ultimate competitor. Uh, that's one thing I pride myself on is being competitive, but going into the game, it was kind of a win-win for me. I, we were either going to advance, advance in the playoffs or, or I was going to be able to see the birth of my son, who would be our second child. Well, we lose the game. I'm the only player that played every single snap. And in the NFL, you have to pass an exit physical, and then you can get cleared for the Pro Bowl and you can go home. So I go in there and tell the doctors, hey, I played every snap, clear me for the Pro Bowl. I'm going home. They said, Eric, you had some stingers this year. Let's get an MRI on your neck and you can hit the road. I'm like, my high school buddy's got stingers. Like, I'm not worried about these stingers. Let me go home. They talked me into an MRI. Two days later, I'm sitting in the delivery room waiting for my son to be born with my wife laying on the hospital bed, get a call from the doctor in Buffalo that my career is over. At C2, C3, there's disc and bone sitting into my spinal cord, very similar to what happened to Ryan Shazier, and they weren't sure why I wasn't laying face down on the football field after one of those shots of the head. But my career was over. There's no possibility to return. I would never pass a physical again. And to this day, people always say, yeah, was so smart. You retired when you did and prioritize your health. I'm like, I don't, that wasn't the decision. If it was up to me, I would have got a surgery. I would have done whatever I had to do to get back on the football field. But at that point in my life, uh, there, there, was that was the ultimate transition for me because I had no fallback plan. I was all in on ball. I loved it. It consumed me. I loved my role with the organization. I loved the direction of the Bills. And it was all ripped from me.
0: Times are tough. Life is hard. I get that. But don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or somebody just like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. I cannot tell you how much I love this product. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device which releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. And the Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets right at the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. So, whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working Working out, or an injury, or just the daily stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. And on top of that, it is trusted by 250 professional sports teams, like Real Madrid, also elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers like me. Get yours. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. It's an amazing value. Go to therabody.com slash reinvention right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. Once again, therabody.com slash reinvention, therabody.com slash reinvention it's It's insane. I mean, like you said, I played every single snap. That is so uncommon for those who do not understand. You felt great. You just wanted to get out of there, get to the Pro Bowl. You earned it. So I've got to know. Like the NFL, Eric, is you know, not for long, and you understand what you sign up for. You know, the risks that are inherent. You know you can get hurt. In fact, it's not really a matter of if, or I should say a question of if it's a matter of when. That right. said, that said, it had to have been so devastating and so shocking to hear that diagnosis. What went through you as you were told you have already
1: played your last down? Man, it was tough. And and for me, at, at, in that moment, I honestly thought maybe there's a doctor out there that'll clear me. Heck, I've been through the Joe Theismann leg break. I tore my ACL, my lateral meniscus, my PCL down in Dallas, and I had to walk back through a sports bar to the locker room. I broke my other leg on Monday night football out in Seattle in 2016. I came back from it all and was still playing at a pro bowl level. To me, I was almost in denial. Like, no, there's gotta be somebody out there that'll clear me. That was not the reality. And so I was honestly crushed. My wife was crushed. She was laying in the hospital bed and you know, she's, she's crying. She's, she's, Upset, you know, rightfully so, you're emotional, uh, especially when you're about to give birth. And so the nurse comes in and she said, Honey, it's gonna be okay. It's it's not gonna hurt that bad. And she said, It's not about the baby. And we still crack up <laughs> wow. about that to this day. It it was a tough time though, because I wasn't quite ready to tell family and friends about it. And so it was this weird, hey, are we booking flights again for the Pro Bowl? What exactly are we doing here? There was a contract dispute in Buffalo, it was a tough time in my life. I'm not going to lie.
0: All right. So that's, it's, it's a dream life, but you're going through a lot of stuff. Now, let me, let me share something with you. And I'm not saying that what I do is in any way similar to what you did, but I want to relate something that happened in my career and see if you experienced the same thing. In 2019, Eric, after I'd been grinding away for decades, I mean, decades, I was fortunate enough to be inducted into the radio hall of fame. And it was still, I mean, to this day, it was one of the greatest things ever. My family was there. My coworkers were there. Some of my closest friends were there. But no sooner than that event was over, people immediately started to say to me, so— What are you going to do now? Implication being you've had a good run. You got to go find yourself a little beach or you got to go nap it out for the rest of your days. Right. What are you going to do now? And I'm like, what am I going to do now? I'm going to get my ass on that airplane, get back to the studio on Monday because those shows are not going to do themselves. Like when your playing days ended, did you get any of that? Hey, so uh, what are you going to do now? And if so, how did that make you feel?
1: honestly that was the first time in my life that i realized that my foot my my identity was in football because as those months went on and i I remember specifically being at our head coach's golf tournament at the university of louisville and i was just there playing in a group and i can't tell you how many people would say to me eric what are you up to now and i would say you know i am just kind of trying to figure it out you know this and that you just i just had that injury and they'd say well you're too young to be retired i'd say i know i'm 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 not planning on being a stay at home dad forever. I just haven't quite figured it out yet. And it, it hurt me to my core to have to keep saying that. And that's when I realized a, that I'm going to need to find something that I'm passionate about. And also, uh, that that my identity was probably in football, and I would have I would have told you if I came on this show prior to my career ending, I would have said, you know, my faith is first, then it's my family, then it's football, then it's my friends, then it's fun, the five F's. And people always talk about that in ball. Well, when when the when the game got taken from me, I realized that a, a lot more of my identity was in football uh, than I ever realized. And, and similar to you, that fueled me to say, you know what, I'm gonna find. Something in this next chapter of life that I'm passionate about, and I don't know exactly what it looks like. I still don't know what exactly what it looks like. I know I want to positively impact people. I know I want to be successful. I know I want to model my kids a work ethic, and that daddy still works, and we don't just have these nice things, and, and your dad goes down in the, wor- uh, in the basement in the morning and gets a workout in, takes the kids to school, and hangs out all day. No, they got to see me work and understand that you don't just get things in life
0: you bet oh, 100% you bet I, I totally totally understand that and I agree with you that you want to model you want to let them know that this is how you got to be where you are and this is what it takes you know I love that notion too Eric you're like hey I still don't know I'm looking like I'm 30 31 episodes into this hey what do you know Eric I haven't completely reinvented myself yet but we're searching we're trying I want to ask you one more thing before we get to like the the practical maneuvers that you made to turn I just want to ask you this when you're an athlete and especially you level, and you've always had that great structure in your life, like literally every day for years, and you had that driving mission, and you've got a reason to get out of bed and attack your process every single day. Like you, you wanted to be the best center on the planet. It drove you for years, but then when you wake up one morning and in an instant, that's gone, what was it like to wake up suddenly without that driving, overwhelming, overriding force in your life that created its own momentum?
1: Yeah, and, and I've talked to former pro athletes about this. I've talked to former CEOs of companies or, or business owners that have sold or moved on and, and, and have a tremendous amount of success. I've talked to military members uh, that get out of service. And and one of the hardest things to do is start creating your own schedule. And as a pro athlete, and even as a college athlete, your days are so regimented. And, and from the second you wake up in the morning, you know exactly what your purpose is, exactly what you said, Jim. I knew when I woke up in the morning, I wanted to be the best center in the NFL. And you know what? On some days, it was a rest day. And you know what? I had peace sitting around and watching TV knowing I was resting. Well, when I'm not recovering from something or for something, I got so uncomfortable even sitting around. So I had to find a schedule and a routine that would truly serve me. And that came from a lot of conversations with guys. And when guys transition now, one of my first things I tell them is, hey, you're going to get stuck in this who gives a crap mode. Who gives a crap if I eat healthy? Who gives a crap if I get a workout in? Who gives a crap if if I'm applying myself and using my gifts? I said, you got to put that aside. You got to examine your values. You got to find a mission for yourself. And once you can do that, then build a schedule around it to where each day uh, makes a lot more sense when you wake up in the morning.
0: Hey, listen, you want to be comfortable, right? And you want to be luxurious, right? I've got your answer. Actually, Overland has your answer. Overland is a family-owned American heritage brand that has put comfort and quality first for over 50 years. As you probably know, they offer outerwear, accessories, and home decor made from sustainable natural fibers like sheepskin, leather, and wool. Overland uses expert craftsmanship to pair their highest quality merino sheepskin, which is naturally moisture-wicking, temperature-regulating, and antimicrobial, with supportive memory foam midsoles in order to make slippers that feel better and wear better for longer, Best pair of slippers ever. And something that really sets Overland apart is that they're one of the only brands in the entire world that use true double-faced sheepskin. So the suede you see outside is the same piece as the fluffy sheepskin that you feel inside. It's lighter, it's more breathable, and it means there are no synthetic materials touching your feet. And everybody needs slippers, so they're also the perfect no-brainer gift. Overland offers a 100% satisfaction guarantee and their commitment to customer service is incredible. So don't wait another day to slip into something way more comfortable. Get the very best, highest quality sheepskin slippers on the market at overland.com/rome. You'll get free shipping and free returns, and I recommend you do this right away because these slippers are beloved and they have been known to sell out. That's overland.com/rome, overland.com/rome. All right. So how often do you slip into who gives a crap mode and then what's your process for snapping out of that and getting back on path?
1: Uh, not very often. Now that I get a text at 220 every day from your boy, Ben Newman, who is a former guest Dude. Uh, who I've become buddies with. And, and that's part of aligning yourself with people that can kind of help you out of ruts in life. But but not very often anymore. I'll be honest with you now. Not every day is perfect. And when you're traveling around doing broadcasts like I'm doing, if I get home at one in the morning, I'm probably not waking up at five the next day to go get a workout in because I'm not training to get on a uh, cover of muscle and fitness magazine. Now I want to model good behavior. I want to be in good health. I had to lose a bunch of weight from when I was playing because me walking around at 310 pounds, isn't going to serve me long-term. And so that, that kind of time is over in my life, but it, but it took me getting aligned with the right people. It took me, Finding things I was passionate about to, to get me up out of bed in the morning with my hair on fire again.
0: Hey, Eric, 220, like Ben, Ben's amazing. Like you and I have a lot of mutual friends now because of this process. Like I'm a 430 guy. I'm a 4 a.m. guy. I'm a 445 guy to 220 is straight middle of the night. 220. Right. I mean that that's there are those of us that are motivated, there are those of us to push ourselves, and then there are those of us actually there's not those of us. There's one guy, 220, and I know that cuz I get I also get live text from him at 220. What do you make of a dude who is wired to get up at 220 in the morning and have his workday start every day at that time?
1: You know what, I don't think that would serve me just knowing how I operate on very little sleep, but I respect him. And you know what? I take coaching from him because of the discipline he lives with. You know, I'm not looking to take coaching from guys that don't walk the walk themselves. Now, that's extreme. But you know what? When Ben Newman tells me, hey, I think this would serve you in your life, I'm going to listen because a dude like that walks it every single day. And, and I respect that. And you know what, Jim? I played with Hall of Famers and, and, and no, they weren't 220 wake-up guys. But those guys acted different. I had Terrell Owens on my show, uh, my podcast. And, and you could say what you want about T.O. He always treated me great. When I did my Joe Theismann leg break in 2009, I was a rookie. He's one of the two guys that picked me up off the ground. That's what type of guy T.O. is. And I asked him, what were your favorite buffalo wings in Buffalo? He said, I don't know. I never ate wings up there. I said, what? You don't like chicken wings? He said, E, I wasn't up there to eat chicken. And I said, That's what Hall of Famers do. They separate themselves. Ben Newman's a Hall of Famer in the personal development space at leading people, at coaching people because of the discipline he lives his life with.
0: I want to be very transparent when I say this and respond. T.O. is not a big... Rome guy. We did we did not really see eye to eye, although he was, I want to say, one of my first guests on my first TV show on ESPN. But, you know, part of my business and I try to be as fair as possible and certainly I've kind of mellowed as I've gotten older. Not everybody's going to like me. We know this. Like Eric, you're like the best guy ever and it doesn't matter who you are. Not everybody's going to like you, but I really like that story you just told. That's amazing that he never once had a chicken wing up there. But then if you look at T.O. right now physically the way he looks, I think that's really believable. So let me ask you one more football-related thing, because I think it's really pertinent to this, I think we'd all agree it's almost unanimous that the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is Tom Brady. Eric, explain this to some of our listeners that might not be so inclined athletically or follow it. This guy is not exceptional, at least coming out of college, he was not exceptional in any way athletically. This is not a super twitchy, super explosive guy, yet somehow, some way, he is the best to ever do it. Why is he an outlier? How did he make himself into what he is if he wasn't really that much more gifted than anybody else at that level?
1: Uh, through discipline and mindset, plain and simple, because you're exactly right. When you look at his combine picture, it's it's honestly laughable. I mean, you, we crack up looking at it. And you know what? I should hate Tom Brady. He dominated us in the division and made us look awful over and over and over. And every time we thought we were going to beat the Patriots, he'd come back and beat us in that final two minutes of the game, which was probably half our defense, knowing that Tom Brady's on the other side, them thinking the touchdown into existence and Tom's teammates, even knowing, Hey, Tom's going to lead us to victory again, but I should hate Tom Brady. And, and honestly, I'm a huge fan of his. I root for him. And you know, this is crazy. And and I haven't said this publicly to anybody, but I emailed Tom. We got connected um, on an email for a a close personal friend of both of ours in a a while ago, a few years ago. Well, they win the Super Bowl this year, and I don't have his phone number. So a couple days later, it's probably 530 in the morning. I just shot him an email and said, hey, congrats, brother. To be able to leave New England, do what you did in Tampa Bay in the first year and to be able to do it at your age, honestly, that's not a slight to you. I have the ultimate respect for you. Well, he responds in about 15 minutes, and he writes me a paragraph back. That's the type of guy he is. But he structures his entire year. He sacrifices more than likely any other player in the entire NFL, and that's how he's done it for so long. That's why he continues to get better looking – better on the field. I mean, this this dude is all in. He structures out certain days to party throughout the year. If they would have lost in the playoffs last year, he would have continued to train through the Super Bowl. And on Super Bowl Sunday, he would have had his hardest workout and to prove to himself that he was truly peaking at the Super Bowl again in 2020 season, 2021 Super Bowl.
0: It's a great anecdote that you share, Eric. When you said, like, for instance, he sacrifices more than anybody. Another mutual friend of ours, David Meltzer, who we both have spoken to, would say it's not a sacrifice. It's a personal investment. Like, what do you think? Do you think Tom thinks that he's sacrificing or giving things up? Or is he so in love with the process and so in love with the feeling of success and winning that it's not a sacrifice at all?
1: I would say that he wouldn't consider it a sacrifice. And, And he probably gets joy from being sacrificed being so disciplined each and every day he obviously has a supportive wife they seem happy from the outside looking in and everybody in his family gets it his group of friends understand like this is the way Tom's going to be until he hangs up the cleats and you know what he'll probably be like that when he's done it reminds me of a Kobe Bryant for instance you know Kobe Bryant has an unbelievable career I love reading uh about Tim Grover talking about his work with Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant telling him to meet him at the gym at four in the morning so he can be back to eat breakfast with his his kids and then go back to the gym with Grover afterwards. But then Kobe retires and then he goes and wins an Emmy. Like Kobe was never going to shut it down. I don't think Tom Brady would either. And, you know, Tony Robbins says it, there's the ultimate fulfillment in life is in growth. And for Tom Brady, I believe that, it's not sacrifice to him. It's fulfillment because of the growth that he's seen throughout his career. All right.
0: So to that point, let me ask you, what is having a growth mindset mean to you personally? And why is it so critical to have one?
1: I learned from Bobby Petrino early on in college with some colorful language mixed in that you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And there's really no gray area. So each and every single day to simply take the steps to have process goals as Jason Selk would say have your daily routine your daily wins that you knock out to continually grow in life and Sean McDermott introduced us to the growth mindset in 2017 when he took over the bills and he said look we're not going to go from one of the worst franchises in the league to the top to now Super Bowl favorites in 2021 based upon Vegas betting odds you're not going to do that overnight. It's going to be continual growth each and every day by the team, by all the individuals, and then you can get there. We've seen that from the Buffalo Bills. Personally, you know, to me, it's daily growth. It's keeping the promises you make yourself over and over and over, and then you look back in a year, and maybe those little 1% improvements each and every day didn't maybe move the needle in a week, but over a year, they will. Often in speaking engagements, I'll say, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but 1%, if I, if I thought about it, I'd say getting better 1% every single day, well, that would be 365% better at the end of the year, which is 3.65 times better. That, that's not the case based upon compound interest for all those finance people out there, based upon compounding interest on yourself, you're actually 37 times better. At the end of this at the end of the year at the end of a calendar year if you got better one percent better each and every day
0: so i'm so glad you made that point i was gonna say it's like compounding interest but i even i gotta admit and i'm not also the smartest guy ever and i'm not a huge numbers guy but part of me eric would be like like I want to go with that Drew Hanlon shock the system thing. Like I don't, I know that there is no hack. I know there is no shortcut. I'm not afraid of the hard work, but I really want to figure out how to shock the system. But you're so right. If you do get one percent better every single day, by the end of the year, we're talking about a real big number. Now you had a great conversation, I thought, and a great distinction that you made when you talked to another one of our mutual friends, Ed Milet. You were talking about the difference between being quote interested. And being committed. My question is, what is the difference? And like, if you were merely interested as opposed to committed, how different would your life be than it is right now?
1: Oh, I mean, we wouldn't live in this house. I, who knows if I even get a scholarship? And me, my wife. If I if I was not committed to being a Division One athlete in high school, I'd never get that one scholarship. But if I wasn't fully committed in college at being the best at what I did, I would not have been a first round draft pick. I would not have had my success in the NFL. And honestly when I look at my relationship and from where I've come from, I wouldn't have uh, the the healthy relationship that I have with my wife and kids if I wasn't fully committed. And, and I feel like so many people out there are interested in getting better. They're interested in having success. Look around, surround yourself with people that have had success. Those people are fully committed to the process. They're fully committed each and every single day. And is every day perfect? Heck no, but it's about jumping back on the wagon interested people would say, you know what? I blew it with a cheeseburger. I'm going to double down and have McDonald's breakfast tomorrow. Committed people hop right back on the wagon, get right back on the routine, and then they see results over time.
0: You know, let me ask you this. and I'm not looking to judge anybody at all. Believe me, I got enough to worry about myself. But, like, can you be good friends? Are your good friends, your close circle, the people you want to spend time with? Because you really have to – it's harder and harder to find quality time with other people do you want to spend that time and closely align yourself with people and there are worse things than being only interested but i guess what i'm saying is do you only want to be around committed people or how do you approach it away from those things that you need to get done for you and yours
1: Uh, naturally i'm a leader and and i have been you know since i guess college i was a captain for my fourth or fifth year in the nfl on naturally I'm a leader, but I can also follow, especially in a crowd. So I have always conscience about that, that top five people I'm spending most time with it's well known out there that you'll become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Les Brown says you'll make between you make about $2,500 on average. of the average five people that you spend the most time with. So you got to consider their salaries as well. But for me, I'll be honest with you, Jim. And this is something over the last four or five years that I've really had to look into because you only get so much time and we got a three and a six-year-old at home and I'm doing broadcast and I I got limited time. And so I want to be around people that are upbeat, that that serve uh, my best interest, that you know, I like to play golf, you know, and if, if my buddies that I'm kind of running with, they don't like to play golf as well, we're, we're probably not going to spend as much time. And, and I've grown away from some friends, uh, other friends you can not see in a year and pick up right where you left off. But to your point exactly, I, I've made a, a huge conscious effort over the last few years to surround myself with people that I want to be the average of. And and I wish I would have contacted you, but I do an advisory board every year. And I did this starting the first year I was out of the NFL. I do an advisory board with a group of five or six guys where I just kind of lay everything out there, everything I got going on, let them pick it apart and give me a lot of advice and, and maybe show me some landmines they think I'll hit. Well, this year's advisory board, I think we're all podcast guests of yours, Ed Milet, David Nurse, Ben Newman, John Gordon. And yes, they picked me apart. But man, when you get those guys in your corner, it's hard to have an off day. It's hard to have an off week because those guys are pouring into you and they committed their time. And I want to honor their time by putting into action what they gave me.
0: I mean, you walk the walk, and you talk the talk, but you walk the walk. I mean, th- these are all guys that, you know, they they want to serve others. They want to help, but they're going to coach you up now. They're going to coach you hard, and clearly, you're not afraid of that. Eric, let me ask you this. Like, these are still, okay, no matter what your attitude and your, ma- your mindset is, these are still tough times. They're still challenging times, and for everybody. Now, I'll be honest. Even though I am older and wiser and smarter and have more experience, I'm going to be very transparent. I have a little more anxiety than I have in years past, even though I feel like I know more and I'm better prepared. Do you yourself ever feel anxious? And then what's your strategy for beating it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I never felt anxiety, honestly, until my career ended. And, and I feel like anxiety is a lack of clarity about the future. And you're not trusting. And, and I'm a man of faith. And and I know when I have anxiety, I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm honestly not trusting God that he's going to make this next chapter my best yet or, or whatever I'm feeling anxious about. And there's a number of different breathing modalities that I've tried or whatever it may be. But for me, trying to gain some perspective and, and take some time to just be in quiet, but get some perspective and understand that when setbacks happen and, you know, we're all living in this crazy COVID time right now still and, and just understanding and Ed Milet told me this first, but things in life happen for you, not to you. And you have to truly look at those instances to find that. And then, man, if you'll get outside of your bubble and go explore, um, and we do hospital visits, we do I've done prison missions, I, I serve one of the top 10 poorest communities in America, is in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live. When you get out there and you can gain some perspective, it can kind of get you out of your own head to deal with that anxiety on a day-to-day basis.
0: Mm, really good advice. Let me ask you this. You are one of the most competitive people ever, ever. And this was part of your business. I mean, your business, you run a business to compete and dominate and physically impose your will on other people. I'm curious about this. What about the rest of us? What about the rest of us who are going about our lives in a non-athletic manner? Now, of course, there is some athletic uh attachment to whatever we do like we want to work out we want to move we want to be active but if we're just talking about lay people or business people how critical is it for us to compete every single day in our life to get up and compete every single day
1: yeah i just, I just feel like that's what life's all about getting up and competing and being your best self and not we're, we're we all have a comparison machine in our hands at 24 7 with our cell phones you can compare yourself to anybody in the world, but it's all about competing against yourself, using the gifts you've been given to be the best version of yourself. And I feel like if you can do an assessment of what you truly value in life and then check out where your time is and then put a mission around being the best at what you value, if that's being a dad, a husband, your career, your health and fitness, whatever it may be, if you can put a plan around those things and devote time to them and be on a truly a mission and just get out, compete every single day. You're going to find fulfillment from that. And when you start stacking days, it's going to be a habit. It's going to become easier and you're going to crave uh, those, those times that you are competing.
0: All right. So then what you just said though, how dangerous is it to start comparing as opposed to competing? What's the difference?
1: Oh, yeah, competing, and competition's key. I mean, uh, you mentioned a world where you're competing. I mean, every single week th- on Tuesday, there's 20 guys that are getting changed in your locker room that are going out to work out on our practice field, on our off day, to prove themselves that they can take your job. That's every single week in the NFL, one bad week. If your contract does not, if you're not worth more money on the, uh, on the team than you are cut, if you have a bad week, you're out of there. And so that's the world I lived in. And so I guess naturally, um, I'm ingrained to be competitive with people. And it's so easy for me to look around and say, man, this guy's lost more weight in his transition out of football. This guy's got this better broadcast gig. This guy's got this better podcast. This guy's serving more people. And man, you just got to get um, you got to get the reality check to yourself that, man, you are only competing against yourself to be the best version of yourself. And yes, in business and in sports, there's times that you are going to be competing, but when you lay down your head at night and you can lay down your head in peace, if you know that you gave that day your all and that you're constantly on a growth cycle To your point earlier, if you have that growth mindset of improving each day, then you get it out of your head. But, I mean, comparison is the true robber of joy out there. I find it myself. If I'm scrolling social media too much, I'll think, okay, their family looks happier than mine. We're not traveling enough. Uh, That dude's got a six-pack, whatever it may be. It's like you can compare yourself to anybody in the world at any time. And so, you got to be truly careful about that. Dude,
0: you're so awesome. That is such a great response. That is just the best. That is the best. And, like, I didn't want to get into the whole social media thing about how what is real and what is not and what, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. But you're right. You go down that rabbit hole and you're looking at these things. Never mind that what you see is not necessarily what it is, but you get caught up. And you literally, you answered that perfectly. I was going to say, But do we not are we not in business? Are we not competing against the competition? But you nailed that. You're like, well, yeah, of course we are. But what we're really competing who with or who is ourselves. Let me ask you this before you go. Now you had core values, you played for so many great coaches, and you learned so many great lessons in sports, in basketball, in football. I understand this, and they'll stay with you the rest of your life. But I am curious, since you started your podcast and it's a great podcast, and you and I, I think we probably started it for similar reasons. We want to meet new people. We want to get new ideas. We want to have that energy and that buzz and see things in a different manner. I'm really curious, aside from all the things you learned in athletics and from coaches, since you started hosting that podcast and began to have these conversations, what are maybe a couple of the lessons that you've learned that have really resonated with you that maybe you didn't think about or practice before?
1: Man, I've learned so much through my podcast. And when I started my podcast, I had nothing going. I didn't have the broadcast gigs. I didn't have hardly anything that I do have going now. And I'm not saying that it brought me that, but it brought me experience. You are a professional interviewer, one of the best of all time. Well, I was always so used to be on the other end of things, I thought, man, if I'm gonna get into media, I better start learning learn how to even simply ask people questions. And, and you go to a business meeting or a, a, a dinner event, and as an, a former athlete, you're so used to people saying, who was the hardest guy you ever had to block? Who? What was your favorite stadium to play in? Well, I needed to be on the other side of that thing. And I started learning so much from these guests. It started out where I was trying to learn from people who transitioned out of either sports or big business or whatever in the military, just so I could learn some lessons from them. And then, man, I've gotten down this rabbit hole of personal development, which you found yourself in now, and and there's so much. But, I mean, kind of running down the list, I mean – examining your gifts and then figuring out how you can serve others to use those gifts. I had a former professional baseball player, Chris Burke, he calls games for ESPN now. And he said, E until you learn that life's about serving others, you're always not, you're you're never going to be fulfilled. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I was so in my own world, in my feelings at the time. One of the most powerful concepts that I've been exposed to is simply what you fill your mind with will show up in your life. and, And that's, you know, I'm a man of faith. I've mentioned that. And, and that gets kind of Joe Dispenza, Jason Selk um, uh, on the psychology front, but but it aligns perfectly with biblical principles as well. What you continually fill your mind with will show up and you eventually will become your thoughts and habits. And in football, that was always ingrained for you. Like when you showed up in the morning, they showed you what to eat. They showed you when to work out. We all went to meetings together and, they, and then there was extracurriculars you could do on your own, but they put you in those thoughts those habits whatever it may be man when you transition out you got to control that yourself so it's what are you constantly fueling your mind with I, I've, I've, I've knocked out 22 books i think in 2021 i've become obsessed with learning and and readers are leaders and earners are learners i think i heard that from uh uh jim quick but To me, this has been just a fun journey that I've been on through the podcast. It's called What's Next with Eric Wood. And the concept is simply how do I make my what's next better and come along on this journey with me as I learn from other people Very similar to the Reinvention Project.
0: I love this. I love this so much what you just said. Like, I've always thought, like, you are what you eat and not that I'm, like, some crazy nutrition guy, although I'm trying to get better because, trust me, my man, as you get older, it gets tougher and tougher. Like, it comes on much easier, and it's much tougher coming off. Those pantry runs are way more hurtful than they used to be but i love this notion that it's not it's no longer just you are what you eat it's you are what you consume and what you consume includes what you see what you hear what you watch so really quickly like you said i'm so conscious of what i'm putting in my mind what are you putting in your mind when you get up every morning and you go throughout your day what types of things are you looking to put in your mind
1: yeah so i call it tithing uh um with my time as well. So the first 10 minutes of my day, it's either a Christian-based book or I'm in my Bible. Uh, I might be listening to a a podcast, a a sermon, whatever it may be. I'm going to give my first 10 minutes to God. And then, man, I've gone down a rabbit hole. A lot of them are prepping for podcast guests, but it correlates back to uh, me filling my mind with what I want to show up. So it might be Tim Grover who trained Michael Jordan and Kobe. It might be Jason Selk, who, you know, it might be Kevin Elko. It might be, uh, Ben Newman. I'm pouring into their books. And as you read, and, and this is fun, Jim, because, you know, I talked about the five people you spend the most time with, you become the average of, well, you know what? You listen to enough Ed Milet podcasts. You listen to enough reinvention projects. They might be those words that are filtering into your head. That might be your top five, you might've just put Ed Milet, one of the most disciplined, successful people on earth. He might now be in your top five because you're reading his book, you're listening to his podcast and and you're following him along on social media, which is very intentional. What he puts out there. All of that is probably putting him in your top five of people you're spending the most time with.
0: I respect that so much. I agree with you. This is when you and I do this, this is so great because it's part of who we are and what we do. But it's, it's more than a passion play. Like, we get so much out of it. It's this is, this is not hard. This is good. This is productive. Let me ask you one last thing, Eric. Like, when you talk about a pivot, right? A pivot. David Nurse talks about a pivot. You talk about a pivot. And for those who know sports, we know what a pivot is. When you go to make a pivot in real life, is it like a traditional pivot we see in sports where you know you plant and you pivot and that's pretty much it? Or is that life pivot not even really a pivot per se, but rather an actual process?
1: I believe it's a process. And, and you talk about pivoting on a basketball court. I played in the pivot on the offensive line, on offense. The center's known as the pivot. And that's how me and David Nurse originally got connected. I put out a blog post a while back when I was doing those. And I wrote about that. And we kind of got connected through all that. Someone referred me to him and said, hey, he's the pivot guy, go talk to David. And so we become buddies kind of over all that. But man, when when you're pivoting in life, it it truly is a process. It's a learning process. It's a process of not beating yourself up because you you can't hold yourself accountable for what you don't know. I I could look back at my career now and say, man, I wish I would have done these things. I wish I would have done more visualization or breathing techniques or ate better, but I can't beat myself up over what I didn't know then but to constantly be growing. And when you hit those transitions in life, those big transitions, and so many have hit those transitions because of COVID, it's been relationships, it's been jobs, it's been loss of loved ones. When you're hitting those transition points, there's there's actionable steps to take. And we could do a whole podcast around that, but if it's career, you know, examine your gifts, figure out exactly what you wanna do. If you figure out a way to serve others and bring value to others, That value coming back to you is likely you're going to come in monetary form, but you'll also be fulfilled in in that what's next chapter. Even if it's not more physically successful, you will be way more fulfilled in that next chapter.
0: See, like this in a conversation like this, I'm so grateful for because I understand like part of me. I should know better. Part of me feels guilty. I'm like, he just gave you 45 minutes of his time, and exactly what did Eric get out of it? But you, to your point, you're not in it to get something out of it. You're in to serve, serving others, and it's the law of attraction, and if you put this type of thing out in the universe, you have to believe that it's going to come back. I think that you're a really unique person in that you're somebody that I and others will want to plug into, right? Like it's, like it's an energy charge, not an energy drain. There's so much positivity and so much positive energy and so much good information that I just kind of want to plug into you. And I think that's a great, great compliment to you, Eric, and how hard you've worked to become the person that you are and have always been and continue to evolve. So I want to say that first and foremost. Thank you so much. I want to say how much I admire you, respect you, appreciate this relationship and friendship. For those listening that want to consume more of your content, want to get to know you even better, maybe even interact with you, what is the best way for them to do
1: so? Well, I really appreciate all those compliments and the feelings are 100% mutual, Jim. Uh, My podcast is called What's Next with Eric Wood. We release every single Monday. On social media, I'm at eWood70. If you message me on Instagram, I'm most active on there and in responding to people. And Jim, you know what? You talk about 45 minutes. Yes, I want to serve your audience. and, And I believe that if you do things for other people, it will come back to you. I'm all about that. But I'll tell you what, Probably the best, probably the biggest media deal I ever did in my life uh, at, at this point was prior to the UK U L Final Four. Me and Stevie Johnson got the chance to come on your show. And to me, that was a super big deal. It meant the world to me. I've had so much fun over the years with me and Stevie talking trash about those times. And so honestly, even if it wasn't about serving the listeners, I would have done it for you for giving me my first, I don't want to call it big break in media, but my, my biggest opportunity to date.
0: My man, you are such a good dude to remember that. You are such a good dude to remember that. And I so appreciate that you do remember that. Like I haven't talked to Stevie in a while. What's he up to? Have you talked to him? What's going on with him?
1: Stevie is back and forth between California and Buffalo. And he has been training some young receivers I've seen. And he was on my podcast very early on. So that was about two years ago. And he was still kind of trying to figure it out. But Stevie uh, has got a phenomenal family, great wife, um, and, and, I mean, probably the coolest dude I've ever met Right. And, and cool is like so relative. Like to me, Stevie's so cool. Cause he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. Like to me, part of the reason I work my tail off so much is because I care what those old farts at that golf tournament said. And you know what? That's okay. I know myself and my wife knows me too. And she's fine with it. Like if, if this next chapter of my life is to fulfill me, but also be a shot in the face of everyone that said, Hey, when your career ends, You know, good luck, buddy. You'll never replicate any of that. We'll see you in 20 years when you're drinking a beer up here at the big tree outside the stadium in Buffalo. Like, no. I'm gonna make that next chapter better. And the thing I love about Stevie is he truly doesn't care. He dresses the way he wants. He acts the way he wants. And I love that about him.
0: I love I love that response. Really quick, let me just say what I think about that. I love that your response is, "Hey, old guys, my best days are not behind me. They were great days. I'll always remember those days. I'll always love those days. I'll love the people that were part of those days. But I'm still working a plan here. All right. So no, that's not. Those are not necessarily my best days. So you still have that chip on your shoulder, and that's a good, good thing in terms of. Stevie, I I know what you're saying. You can't even explain. Cool, like you know it when you see it, and you feel it when you're in the presence. But there is no way to explain that guy, and I mean that in the best way possible. You you can't teach that, you can't explain it, but you know it when you see it, right?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. His locker was right across from mine, and our locker room at the time wasn't very very big in Buffalo, so we were pretty much back to back in our locker room uh, for five years in a row, and we had so much fun and. Each and every day, he'd come in with this different outfit. I'd wear the same pair of sweatpants and jacket to the stadium every single day, the same pair of big old boots just because it's snowing half the time from November on. Stevie coming in a new outfit every single day. So cool. And I'll never forget, Doug Marone came up to me, and he was just ripping me in my locker one day. And I look over Marone's shoulder, and Stevie is behind him dying laughing. And all I could think was, Marone's going to turn around and give it to Stevie next, and Stevie truly does not care.
0: At all. At all. And you were probably like, Oh man, this sucks. This sucks. I gotta do better. I gotta be better. Coach is tearing me up. And Stevie just thinks all things hilarious. And that's yep. that's the beauty of the whole thing. Well listen, I can tell how much you love him, and I know from talking to your teammates how much they loved you. And I can't say how much I appreciate this and respect it. I would love to help out and reciprocate in any way possible, Eric, but thank you very, very much for an amazing conversation, dude. You are doing incredibly well.
1: Uh, thank you very much. It was absolutely my pleasure for coming on.
0: So much gold in that conversation. What an impressive individual. So let me react and share a few thoughts coming out of that. Oftentimes, it's hard for us common folk to identify with the uncommon. We think that person won the genetic lottery, either in talent or intelligence or size or look like I could never do that. I could not ever compete with that. So why even try? It's a bad take. You're already in your head and you've already taken yourself out of the fight already taken yourself out of the arena before even stepping into it And the irony is even Eric Wood admits that he falls prey to it. He's the guy that so many of us want to be yet he himself admits he falls victim to the comparison game. That guy has a bigger podcast that guy has a better broadcasting job. that person has more followers. that person has lost more weight etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Eric admits he has to catch himself sometimes and check himself and remind himself that's not the race he's running. That's not the battle he should engage in. Notice he's not saying don't compete. He's saying don't compare. Of course you will battle your competitors. But the real battle, the main battle, is the one within. Stop focusing on things that are out of your control and frankly have nothing to do with anything anyway, and instead turn within, win the battle within, win it every single day, stack those days, and then all those same people that you're comparing yourself to will be doing the same with you. Here's something else I really admire about Eric. This is an extremely high achiever, but extremely humble and grateful with a huge heart and a willingness to serve. That said, don't confuse his being a great dude with him not being a warrior. Don't confuse that generosity with an unwillingness to go to battle for himself and his family. I love that that dude still has a huge chip on his shoulder. I love that this dude has a little something for all those old dudes at the golf club that think that his best days are behind him and that he really has nothing spectacular or exceptional in front of him. Love that one of the things that rolls him out of bed every single morning is the drive to prove them wrong and the people who believe in him right. Let me tell you something. Those old dudes are right about a lot of athletes. Doing what I do, as long as I've done it, I have seen plenty of athletes' careers end, and they never find the next thing. They never create a new identity. They never figure it out. Same as so many others in every walk of life. But... There are some athletes, even really high-achieving athletes, that go on to have better careers off the field than even on it. You see it in the most uncommon individuals. People like Michael Strahan, great player, but he's even bigger now off the field than he ever was on it. My guy, Nate Burleson at CBS, a really good football player, but he's building an enormous brand and is bigger now than he ever was on the field, and he's still getting stronger. Eric Wood gets this, and he'll be one of those guys too. A guy who had a great career on the field, but will be even bigger and better off it because he's unwilling to settle, unwilling to accept that those days were his best days. He's still driven, he's still fighting and competing and battling and wants to evolve, reinvent, learn, and attack the next phase of his life. He didn't stop competing when his athletic career ended. In fact, he's attacking the next phase of his life just as he was when he wasn't even a starter on his high school football team with that same obsession with that same chip on his shoulder full transparency here as I look back on my life and my career the periods where I was most fully engaged and supercharged were when I was in college and shortly thereafter chasing the dream with a boulder on my shoulder and a fire in my gut it's all I thought about all the time I was obsessed with that mission but Once you get to the top of the mountain or you reach a certain level, the fire and the edge tend to dissipate. You can't let that happen. You can't lose that fire or that edge. Clearly, Eric Wood hasn't. He's maintained it. He's taken it into the next chapter of his life. And I personally have been trying to reclaim it myself. No, I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago. None of us are. But there's no reason not to maintain that same mindset and that same fire. Think of the most successful people you know and how hard they still go, even though they're on top. That's why they're on top elite mindset, enormous chip on their shoulder, and they're still looking to prove the haters wrong and their supporters right, and they're looking to do it every damn day. Yes, it's personal. Eric never lost that. Don't forget what got you there in the first place. Don't lose it. In fact, keep throwing logs on that fire. Keep it burning and never, ever lose that chip. Once again, my thanks to Eric Wood for a tremendous, thought-provoking conversation. You know where to find him if you want to learn more about Eric and his message. And I will be appearing on his podcast soon as well, so I'll make sure to let you know when that drops if you're interested. In the meantime, I would love for you to share this episode and any of the others. Make sure you subscribe so the apps find you and you don't have to go looking for them. And if you could, can you leave a review? That also helps out so much. Thanks so much for stopping by. Have a tremendous week. And I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery.